The scripture this morning is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Are there any movie fans out there? Anybody like movies? Okay, this sermon is for you. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about movies. One of the things I've never really talked about here at Northminster is that uh, I have studied story quite a bit, wrote my doctoral dissertation on the idea of story and narrative and how stories follow certain ideas and certain principles. And if you understand those, you can understand a lot about life because there's a reason why there's patterns in our stories. Stories from Homer's Odyssey to Beowulf to modern novels like Nora Roberts and movies like Star Wars have a certain principle, certain commonalities. They follow patterns, sort of like music. They're not all the same, but they have similar elements. And the overall story structure is called by researchers the hero's journey. And the hero's journey often happens in three acts. In the beginning, the hero of our story, or what's called the protagonist, lives in a sort of equilibrium or normal. May not be happy or healthy, but at the beginning of the movie, um, the character is stable. And you could pick your very favorite movie and think about that movie while I'm describing all movies. And I think you'll find I'm describing your movie, even though I'm not talking about yours in particular. Okay, the hero has, the, the main character, the lead, has some kind of normal in their life. And, and they're just sort of going by in life. But something happens to this character. It's called the inciting incident that disturbs the normal. They meet someone, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, or something happens to them, or they get fired, and suddenly their normal can't be normal anymore. Let's see if you can name a couple movies. Okay, are you ready? Here's a, a character getting their inciting incident at the beginning of a movie. A boy living under a staircase gets a letter and invites him to a very strange school. Harry Potter, Harry Potter that's right. Uh, a boy living with his aunt and uncle buys a new set of robots. Star Wars, yes, okay. Sandy Olsen shows up at the same high school where Danny Zucco is a T-bird. Greece, there we go, we got it. Uh, a tornado takes Dorothy to a land of very expensive roadways. Right? Wizard of Oz. How do they afford golden streets? Golden brick? I don't understand. Don Corleone is shot, forcing Michael Corleone to get into the family business. 
The Godfather, there you go. See, at the beginning, there's a normal, and something in every story disrupts the normal. And then the bulk of the movie takes place as the character tries to go after something they think will reestablish the, uh, the normal. Okay, they're, they're trying to do something, fix something, find something. They try to solve a mystery, beat a bad guy, recover an artifact, or get the girl so that they get their life back to normal. The problem is that they change in the journey. And every movie is ultimately about the change in the character. The change and growth of the character as they go through trying to get this thing so that even in the end, the normal can never be the same. Here's a couple movies um, that you might know. Uh, a man uses a whip to try to go to several locations and find clues. Indiana Jones, that's pretty much all the Indiana Joneses, right? Okay, uh, a, a character has to rescue a princess and then blow up a large object. Star Wars, blowing up the Death Star, anybody? Uh, a girl and her companions must go to the Emerald City and then go back and find a witch's broom. Back to the Wizard of Oz, that's right. Um, a, a guy named Jason must relentlessly pursue the information that he needs. Jason Bourne, anybody at the Bourne movies? Okay, here's, here's a tough one, and this is maybe a generational one. Sam Spade must pick up the trail after his partner is killed. Maltese Falcon, there we go, somebody got it, right? Every movie, every movie goes through this then. The whole movie is this conflict trying to get normal back to normal, building to this supreme or final showdown where the character must dig deep and change to get what they want. Um, and you know if you're watching the movie that this final showdown is coming the whole time because it's been set up the whole movie, right? Here's a movie. A contender must face Apollo Creed in the ring and gain a new kind of life. Rocky, there we go. Uh, Frodo must finally destroy the ring. Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Frodo. That Frodo, um, uh, Bilbo would have been the Hobbit. There you go. Uh, Danny Zucco must buck up against the T-Birds for Sandy. Back to Greece. Marlon must go, is going to have to get his son out of the fish tank in the dentist office. Finding Nemo, if you haven't seen Finding Nemo. Uh, a hero with a dark past must finally face his doubts and his enemy in battle. That is every superhero movie you have ever seen. They're all the same. It's all the same movie. Uh, that's those, the, but you know, if you're watching Iron Man, that eventually Iron Man's going to have to face the bad guy. You know the whole movie, it's coming. In fact, when I studied story like this, it ruined movies for me for about a year because they just become incredibly predictable. But even at the end, the hero is changed because of the journey. The normal is never the same because the character is never the same. They can't ever go back to their normal life. And see, our movies follow these stories. And there's even some authors that say that when you tell a story about a terrible experience that you had at the mall, you follow some of these same patterns. They're like built into our psyche. Why? Because we all go through this. How many of you have had times of real change in your life where your normal was disrupted? You ever had an inciting incident where you got a phone call or you got a diagnosis? Something happened where all of a sudden normal isn't normal anymore. And so you struggle with it and you try to put your life back together. But eventually you realize that there's, there's no putting life back together after that. And you're changed because of it. 
How many of you have gone through a big change where normal is just not coming around and you can't quite settle back? You find out maybe that it's not all as good as it was, or maybe you've had good experiences that changed your life, right? One of the most amazing things to me is postpartum depression, right? You get a child, which is one of the most amazing things that could happen to you in your life, and then you get depressed afterwards. Why? Because even if the change is good, the normal is different. Life is like this cycle of having a normal and having it disrupted and then trying to put a new normal back together. And just in time for that new normal, what happens? Another disturbance. Okay? Why do you think we write our novels this way? Why do you think we watch movies this way? Why do you think Hollywood turns out stories like this again and again and again? I mean, ancient stories. Okay? The, the Homer's Odyssey follows this same model. So does every movie that's playing in the movie theater this weekend. Why? Because life is like this. Life is like this. And we keep recreating these stories because we're all trying to deal with how life is like this. And in the Bible, it's like this. Jesus' longer parables follow this. The stories of the Bible follow this. In fact, we just practiced this as a community not that long ago for Easter, right? We had, we had Palm Sunday, which was this great celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry. And we were all excited. And then, wait, Good Friday happens. And Jesus dies. And suddenly we're in conflict with the disciples. What happened? Why did the death have to happen? And then we get to Easter morning, which is a new reality that dawns for us. This year, I've been reading a lot about the Psalms and trying to take seriously the Psalms. And I came across the work of one of my favorite authors and writers, a guy named Walter Brueggemann, who talks about the Psalms as being in three categories. And he doesn't talk about them with story, but I think they make perfect sense with story. He talks about three types of Psalms. Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of reorientation. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Now, that may sound complicated to you, but you've seen so many movies and read so many books that ought to make perfect sense to you. There are certain psalms that meet people where there's a normal and there's a, there's a usual and there's no conflict. It's just stable. And there are psalms that speak to us about when life gets hard and we get into conflict. And there are psalms that speak to us about when we have to put life back together after that conflict. Psalms of orientation are optimistic, simple psalms, like the normal beginning of a movie. There's no conflict, there's no change, there's just good times and this is the reality. God is God, the world is as it should be, his law is perfect, thanks be to God. Okay, psalms like this from 145, Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King. Bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. But we've all been in days where God's grace and God's love were searchable, right? If we're honest, there are those days when there is conflict. When there is challenge. When we question God. These are the Psalms of disorientation. With conflicts and questions written by people in times in their lives when they're struggling to piece back together their lives and their faith. Just like the middle of a movie. They're written in seasons of hurt, alienation, and suffering. They're also called Psalms of Dislocation. 
like where you can't find yourself and you can't find your home and you can't find your place. Psalms of lament, grief, and questioning. Here's Psalms 30, a couple lines from Psalms 30. You might almost think that this psalm is blasphemous because we were always taught to never doubt God and never question God, but here's the Bible showing you a different way. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face from me. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell you of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. See, there are psalms for those middle points of the story when you're in conflict. And there are psalms of reorientation. These are psalms of thanksgiving and praise after the struggle. Praise and thanking God after the storm has subsided. They celebrate the new gifts of God as joy breaks forth in the morning. The best example of this is probably Psalm 23, which I'm going to be preaching specifically on uh, in a number of weeks. Right? I thank God that he is like a loving shepherd that cares for me, even though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death. Okay, that's a psalm that acknowledges the valley, somebody who's walked through the valley but praises God because it's together. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Now, not all psalms fit in those categories, and some psalms are mixed, but of course, our lives are kind of mixed, aren't they? But look at the range of the psalms, that whatever you go through in life, there's a psalm for you. And if you read them every day, as Christians and Jews have throughout the centuries, you're going to find that they speak to you wherever you are. And sometimes they acknowledge the pain that you're going through. Other times they speak to a reality beyond what you can understand. Today's psalm was a psalm of orientation, Psalm 8. It's a psalm of David, and it's instructed to be played on the giddith, which was a stringed instrument, so it's fitting that we played guitar today because that was a psalm and definitely a psalm to be sing, sung and played on a string instrument. The psalm begins, O Lord, O our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And if you read that verse in your English Bibles, I dare you to check it later, a lot of times the words Lord and Lord are written differently. I talked about this in my Bible study. The first one, the letters are normally all caps because that's the name for the God, Yahweh, the holy name. And the second Lord is the general Lord, Adonai, for master. So it's not just that God is God. We're, this psalmist is praising God because God is actually the Lord ruling in the world. His name is to be glorified. Your name was your person. Your reputation, your character was wrapped up in your name. So we praise God for who he is. The psalmist then looks at the beauty of creation and sees the rule of God. That God uses children to bring down enemies. That God fashions the moons and the moon and the stars and sets them in place. Then the psalmist makes an interesting transition. See, this is a simple psalm. It's not that hard to follow along with. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? God, why have you made such beauty and then you put all your efforts into the crowning achievement of your creation, which is humanity, you and I. You actually give them power, little lower than the angels. You crown them with glory and give them dominion over the works of God. See, this is, just, this is an orientation psalm. It just says who it is. You are God. You are awesome. 
You've made humanity. Humanity rules what you've given him to rule and her to rule. It doesn't even talk about the bad parts of that, right? How man sometimes messes that up. How we use stuff for our own personal gain. But don't risk the reality, the beauty of this song. Okay? This is, let me orient you to your life here right now. We've bought into a lie that there's a separation between the sacred and the secular. That this stuff is holy and this stuff is not. And the psalmist says, that's garbage. What the psalmist says is everything in this world and everything in your life is divine and from God. And when you do work in this world, you do work because it honors God. Okay? Everything you do is a holy mission. So when you mow your grass and when you garden, you are taking care of the things of God and that is a divine appointment. And when you watch your kids and when you play with your grandkids, you're doing something massively holy. And when you manage people and when you try to bring order out of chaos at work, guess what? You're doing something massively, massively holy. Not that you're holy. Let's get the psalm right. What does the psalmist do? He puts this line about how majestic God is as the bookends of the psalm. Okay, so guess what? Everything you do that's holy is holy because it's bookended by God's holiness. But what an amazing treasure to think about how special you are and I am that God would use us in such a way. See, the psalm orients us to that. And rather simply, uh, rather optimistically, right? But this psalm does that. But it doesn't have to always deal with the reality of the world because if you read Psalm 7, it's all about how evil people can be. Okay? This psalm is just optimistic that God's at work and the humanity is following God's work. And guess what? Someday that's going to be the case. And it's the case now. It's just the case tinted with sin. See, the psalm calls us to this now and not yet reality. It orients us to think that something bigger is going on than when we are experiencing in this world. See, the Psalms have the amazing ability to speak God words into our lives, and you miss them if you don't read them. So be reading your Psalms. I dare you this summer to read a Psalm every day, and I really wonder if it could change your life, and I really wonder if it's something you'll do the rest of your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank you that you are uh, so beautiful in what you do, that you are majestic in who you are. Help us to live according to that and help us to live better stories because the Psalms challenge us to grow through the ups and downs of life. In Jesus' name, amen.